What's up, everybody? We are Chatty AF. We're here to make you think about themes and stuff. Uh, I'm your frontman for tonight's show. I am Alex, one of the managing editors here at NFM. I'm also a writer and researcher in the world of queer young adult fiction. I'm joined today by uh, Caitlin and Tony on, well, whatever instruments they want to play to back me up. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Hello again, friend of a friend. I am Caitlin. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Caitlin, the <laughs> MFM's community manager, as well as an editor and writer. Hello, my name is Tony Sun, and can I introduce to you this most amazing show? Uh, okay, I'm Tony. I'm a contributing editor here at NFM, um, and I am also uh, just an educator and musician. Um, you can find me at pedagogue on twitter welcome everybody to another episode today we are talking about scott pilgrim takes off and the scott pilgrim uh, i suppose it's a franchise now the scott pilgrim franchise more broadly normally this would not be within our scope um as as referential and um adoring as it is to japanese pop culture it is canadian <laughs> um does not normally fall under our umbrella here at anime feminist however the new uh, animated series dropped on netflix this november comes to us from science saru uh the animation studio that has given us um many cool things but some star favorites including devil man and crybaby keep your hands off ezokin and the hickey story so scott pilgrim is anime now and good for him i think mm, we'll get into that um so this is going to be an interesting one because some of us on the chat today have some familiarity with this series and some of us have absolutely no familiarity with this series. Uh, that's going to be it's going to be a fun thing to talk our way through, given the nature of these adaptations. Um, Caitlin, can I throw to you first? Can you tell us what you know of Scott Pilgrim? What is your familiarity with this tale? I don't remember exactly how I ended up reading the comics, but I do remember around when the last, uh, the year after I graduated college, when um, the last volume came out or was coming out, my friend shoved all of the volumes at me and was like, here, read it. Um, so I read it. I saw the movie in theaters twice, maybe three times. Uh, I have cosplayed Ramona. I would say that the only bit of Scott Pilgrim media I am not intimately familiar with is the game because it is a genre of game I'm terrible at, <laughs> but I've heard it's very good. Um, and also the movie came out in 2010. I was born in 1987. Do the math. You're not making me do math live on air. <laughs> I was 23. Okay. So you were the same. I was 23. When the so movie you were the same out. age as the characters. That's interesting. Okay. Okay. Yes, I was. I was. Okay. Uh, Tony, how about you? Well, I'm the odd one out here because I have basically no familiarity whatsoever with the original franchise at all. Um, I was exposed to it entirely through talking to my roommate about the fact that there was a Netflix adaptation and them saying, oh, yeah, I love that that uh, comic. I will never watch the Netflix adaptation because it is very special to me. And so I was like, okay. And, you know, I had heard about Scott Pilgrim before that, um, I mean, and I think I mostly thought, wow, that sounds like a dumb thing to, like, have a thing about fighting somebody's 
evil exes. Isn't that kind of possessive? <laughs> um, weird. Um, damsel in distress thing. Um, which obviously, you know, is like a very, very, very shallow read of, you know, it, of the comic. I mean, not having read oh, there's it. There's so much more to it. Absolutely. I'm sure there is. Um, but, you know, and having watched the show, I can't imagine it being that shallow. Um, so, yeah, I, I am coming to it fresh and I will have lots of questions, I'm sure. All right, Alex, how about you? Yeah, so I am on the spectrum closer to you, Caitlin, um, right down to the fact that I do, in fact, still have a very well-loved and beaten up uh, replica of Ramona's messenger bag. Uh, it's the blue one with the pink star on it, which I used and loved for many, many years, uh, but has since been retired. Um, I came to the movie first uh, in 2010, where, I will not make you do math, but let's say I was closer to Knives Chow's age <laughs> than to Scott and the others. Um, so I was kind of like, wow, this is this such an interesting, like, you know, vision of a potential young adult future. Yeah, I, I came to the comics after that and was quite fascinated by sort of the differences I found having seen the movie first. Um, and I was fascinated by differences again now having watched the anime, but we will get to that in time. To provide some context for how we got here. Um, so as you both said, this began with comics. Uh, this is a graphic novel series by Canadian artist Brian Lee O'Malley. Uh, this began with volume one was Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life in 2004. Mm -hmm. This was followed by Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Which was Scott when I was Knives Age, for the record. There you go. I was 17 in 2004. A distant year of 2004. The distant futuristic year of 2004. <laughs> uh, this was followed by... We had Scott Pilgrim versus the world, Scott Pilgrim and the infinite sadness. Scott Pilgrim gets it together. Scott Pilgrim versus the universe. Uh, <laughs> and it all concluded with Scott Pilgrim's finest hour in 2010, um, which was a big year for the franchise, because as you said, 2010 is also the year we got the live action movie directed by Edgar Wright. Um, we also had the tie-in game called Scott Pilgrim versus the world, the game. Um, and so yeah, this, this series that drew a lot of inspiration and made a lot of homages to uh, movies, video games, and anime has now been a movie, a video game, and an anime. Um, this was a pretty big staple of geek culture in the 2000s and kind of, I want to say the early 2010s, um, although it's, you know, it's persisted through. It's pretty beloved, um, especially following the release of the movie. It was a pretty big deal around even like I, who wasn't super active in the convention scene or anything like that at the time, I remember seeing like a lot of cosplay, a lot of merch, a lot of like general buzz about this series. It is worth noticing that it wasn't really successful in crossing over out of the geek community because the movie was considered a flop. Um, it did not make its budget back. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. One of those, uh, we may call it a cult classic, I suppose. <laughs> But I wonder if it, I don't know, I would like to know your opinion on this, Caitlin. Do you reckon it kind of hit this interesting little sweet spot where it was obviously very inspired by and had a lot of the vibe of like, yeah, manga, anime, video games, um, but it was, you know, from the, the distant foreign land of Canada. Um, you know, it was an English language comic uh, set in a setting that would have been more familiar to like North American fans, especially, and you know. It's like, oh, wow, this, this really video gamey plot can happen in Toronto, you know, a place that I kind of recognize. Like, I don't know, do you think that was a factor in what kind of made it seem so cool and novel? I mean, I had never been to Toronto. 
Like, so it could be like I grew up in Los Angeles, which might as well have been Australia when it comes to familiarity with Toronto. (laughs) Um, So I don't I don't know if it's that necessarily. Um, I think that Toronto itself is they, they reference this in the anime. It's like Toronto itself is a character because they reference a lot of real life locations. Unfortunately, a lot of them don't exist anymore, sadly, Aww. because yeah, because gentrification has uh, destroyed a lot of the smaller businesses. Uh, Honest Ed's, not Honest Ed's, Honest Mike's. We'll check. I don't know post. the place where where yeah. the pl- Yeah, that's gone. It's it doesn't exist anymore. So, the way you phrase the question implied a little bit of like it's like my Japanese mangas but it's more local and I I don't think that's mm, like the it wears an influence on the sleeve but I don't know even as someone who was deep in the weeb weeds when they read (laughs) Scott Pilgrim if anything that I think that might have hurt it because anime and manga fans are very very quick to reject something that tries to ape anime and manga okay in any case it sits in this interesting in-between kind of space um what is it actually about you know we can talk about its various like you know uh influences sort of along the way but what is the actual story that we've got going on here with the comics and then the movie it's about scott it's about a guy named scott uh he describes himself as being between jobs he's an aspiring musician in his early 20s living in as we have said the magical foreign land of toronto canada uh he's in a band that sucks He's dating a high school student because, in his own words, it's an easier relationship where the expectations are low and they just kind of hang out and hold hands sometimes. Uh, she's obsessed with him and thinks the moon that shines out of him. Um, and he's just kind of coasting along, trying to rebound from his most recent breakup. Uh, this is our hero, everybody. Hooray. Um, he's also been having dreams <laughs> about a girl with colorful hair rollblading through a kind of ethereal space. And he's very surprised to meet her in person and discover that she's real. Um, he learns her name is Ramona. He engineers a situation that means they can meet again and asks her on a date. They go out, they kind of hit it off, uh, and then the new romance is rudely interrupted when it turns out that every person Ramona has ever dated before has formed a league of evil exes and Scott has to video game style fight each of them if he wants to win the right to be her new boyfriend. Uh, the series uses the structure of the evil ex fights to kind of tell a story about Scott and Ramona's growing relationship as they're each forced to sort of confront their past mistakes and flaws and work out what a successful romance even is. Like, sure, you can punch her ex-boyfriend until he turns into coins, but does that mean you're actually compatible as people? It's kind of the question that it asks going forward. So Scott Pilgrim takes off, adapts the early part of the story more or less exactly, um, shows Scott dreaming about Ramona and then meeting her, all the way up to the first fight with evil ex number one, Matthew Patel, um, and then it diverges completely by having Scott lose that fight. And it looks like he's frickin' died. <laughs> the way I like to describe it is the first episode is exactly what you expect into the last minute. And then it's nothing like you expect. Which is a bit cheeky of them, honestly. Like, especially because a lot of the marketing material was billing this as a new adaptation especially it was kind of like you know because it got a lot of the old or i think all of the old um 
the old, sorry, from the ancient year of 2010, um, the movie live action cast was brought back to voice their characters again, and it was really amping that up, like the kind of nostalgia factor, like it's Scott Pilgrim again in a lot of the marketing, which is very mischievous of them to do that, knowing that they do they do this twist in the very first episode. They're like, actually, we've killed Michael Sarah and turned him into coins. Um, <laughs> so they do walk this back. It turns out that Scott is not dead. He has been pulled through a portal. Um, but we still have this thing going on where Scott Pilgrim, the hero of Scott Pilgrim, has been quite literally pulled out of the narrative. And so we get something very different now that he's not quite in it. Um, and I would like to know what you thought of this twisty twist, of this turning into something very different. I loved it. Hmm. I was grinning with delight when I realized, I mean, I was, it took me a second to realize what had happened because I was just like, well, he's going to fight Matthew Patel and, you know, and he's going to win and blah. And then like, then like Matthew Patel is standing there going, I won. And I'm just like, what? And I'm watching with Jared and we're both like, what? Wait a second. And then roll credits. <laughs> and it leaves you sitting with that feeling. <laughs> yeah. No, it does. It You just, just, I was so ready for anything it was going to throw at me. Um, and I adored the whole series. So Tony, then, from your perspective, as someone coming into this new and, as you said, really only knowing kind of the premise, uh, how did this make you feel, <laughs> that first episode throwing this at you? Well, it kind of made me feel similar to when I watched um, Executioner and Her Way of Life. Ah, um, yes. <laughs> which, you know, the thing is that I have absolutely zero investment in Isekai, so, like, watch and i and i unlike many of y'all i've not been forced to watch a million different isekai for reviewing purposes <laughs> so like watching that i didn't quite experience the catharsis that i'm sure many of you all did both watching a stupid isekai protagonist be like shanked in the head or watching scott pilgrim be shanked in the head um and i think that <clears throat> What I'd heard, though, about so many, from so many different people, is that so much of Scott Pilgrim is partially about how Scott kind of sucks. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. he is not of, he is not responsible, he's not, a, you know, a thoughtful person, he's certainly a mess, and... Yeah, so it was it was interesting to like kind of think about like okay, so what would this series be like if it was focusing more on Ramona and like her narrative completely independent of Scott's? Although I mean, it is dependent on him in the sense that she, she's she's trying to find him, but independent in the sense that she's having these individual like relationships with these different exes that she's trying to resolve, like, um, and it feels almost like it's become more about that than it is necessarily about finding Scott like kind of her reflecting on her life and the choices that she made she's made and the like the kind of patterns that she, the unhealthy patterns that she's noticed like she tends to to, to enter into um mm -hmm. and overall I really enjoyed the series I I think that the the ending, um, and I mean, should should we should we be spoiling things? Um, I think we can yeah. take this as a, yeah. a spoiler cast. Yeah, Let's yeah. just dive in and chew it all up. 
Yeah, the the ending where where it turns out the villain is Scott himself, as an older person, I thought really was, uh, and we can get more into this later. I'm I think we will. Um, but I think it really hammered home that I think part of what the the series was doing was trying to ask question some of the assumptions maybe of the um, original um, comic and question where the original comic leaves its characters, right? Um, and whether their journey was perhaps as transformative as as it, it should have been. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm curious. Like, in the original comic, is does Scott actually grow from the beginning to the end? Or does it really feel oh, yeah. like Scott if, Scott, if Scott was left to his own devices, he would become this this character that he is in the in, in this anime, which is I mean, the antagonist who is kind of terrible. Oh, yeah. He grows a lot. He grows a lot. I just reread the whole comic in the last couple of days. He has to go. He goes through a whole journey, um, especially towards the end. His life falls apart. Ramona disappears on him. Uh, He and Wallace get kicked out of their apartment. So he's like drifting from sleeping in a friend other friends beds to other friends beds and then Gideon shows up and he has to really like figure out his life he has he has to reconcile with his exes um and like take a a look at himself and his own role because Ramona finds out that he went on his date with her when he was already dating knives like it's a whole thing. And Ramona also has to do a lot of reflecting as well. Just the focus is uh, more on more on Scott. Yeah, and I this is a good segue actually into something I wanted to talk about with the movie, uh, which I recognize you also have not seen, Tony, but except for saying you had a look at it, we're not necessarily very impressed um, by some of the, the choices that you saw. Um, so the movie is maybe you know, as, as movie adaptations often are, even if it was a flop, it's probably the better known version of the story, um, or at least the one that got a lot of people into it. And let me know if you agree with this, Caitlin. The movie was very fun, but I kind of had two main gripes with it. Um, the first is that because it is, you know, a movie adaptation of a longer series, um, it compresses the timeline quite a lot. So maybe the mm-hmm. movie's version of the story takes place over a couple of weeks, whereas the comics takes place over like months and months, maybe even a whole year. About a year. About a year. Thank you. Yeah. So what you get from that is a much more slow burn sense of character development um, for Scott, as you said, you know, him really having to pull his head out of his ass and, and grow as a person in a, in a very gradual kind of way. It also means that you get like Ramona and Scott actually being together for months and months. So you get a much stronger sense mm-hmm. of their actual relationship and how they work as a couple and what they're actually fighting for, so to speak. Um, so the movie is very much missing that sense of gradual growth. And specifically, the second the second gripe that I have is a little bit to do with casting and direction and how that kind of skews some of the characterization. Specifically, I think Michael Serra's Scott is a different beast to the Scott from the comics in a way that mm-hmm. impacts the character arc and the way that relationship is portrayed. What do you what do you think of that? I listen, yes. I I agree. I love I love the movie. It's very it is very different from the comic in a lot of ways, but I'm fine with that. 
because I expect adaptations to be different and there's a lot of stuff with the comic that you can't do with the movie. I've had a lot of conversations with this about about this with people lately. I don't think that there is a there would be an actor who could kind of pull off the comic version of Scott the same like you would want Michael Sarah or like you would want for the movie. I think Michael Sarah was a different Scott, but he was a good Scott for what you needed from the the for the film. Like for example, Michael Sarah, not a good-looking guy. He's funny, he's charming. He seems I would love to hang out with him. Not really good looking guy by most people's standards. Whereas in the comic, like it comes across that like Scott is like nerdy cute. And so Michael Sarah adds kind of this like kind of pathetic nerd charm that I think Scott's a little bit douchier in the comic. Mm-hmm. I think um, he yeah. still has the like nerd he still has like nerd charm but like people keep saying like Scott if your life had a face I would punch it because like he keeps getting away with shit <laughs> um <laughs> I do love that line is that from Kim yeah um I think if it's but, a male oh yeah. y'all. I mean like <laughs> I, I relevant to this I just I was like looking up who the who who played who in the in the adaptation and I so I looked up Kim Pine and the first thing that pops up is a picture of is an image of Kim Pine kissing Scott, and I'm like, wait, did did he did they kiss in the comic? I don't like that. Yeah, they they oh. did. Uh, they dated it's... in high school. Yeah, they're they're exes. Oh. Ah, gotcha. Understood. Now I yeah. thought for a <laughs> moment that Scott, this was I thought for a moment this is an Araragi situation where he, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No. Um, Listen, Scott's exes show up. Okay. And it's, you know, thematic resonance and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. but I, I think so you suppose it's worth. Sorry, well, you go, Tony. <laughs> I was just going to say, I suppose it's worth mentioning now what my gripe with the movie is. I mm-hmm. hate the costumes so much. No, the costume and but you work see. Is so atrocious. It's and I of, know it's accurate. It's of the time. Comic, it's of it's... the time. That was 2010, baby. I was in high school in 2010, and people did not were not dressed that garishly. I mean, it's or from it's. What I remember. It's an aesthetic choice. Like the movie is very like flashy. I I don't think it's a lot of the because like Scott wears a lot of like band T-shirts. I'm thinking about Matthew Patel in particular. Oh well, he's a weird theater nerd. That's true, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I I mean, sort of. <laughs> he they make fun just, of him. They make fun of him. The transition from comic to about, live action is always like like they they're just like what are pirates in or something? Like they they make fun of him for dressing like that. I know. It just, there's something about the original comic though that makes it look like less horrendous, <laughs> even though it's the same outfit. Well, I don't know I mean, why. They're both they're both very like the the movie is also very stylized. It fits. It does fit in with the movie aesthetic. 
I would say. Okay. This is true. The movie is very, the movie is very stylish, um, which again is Edgar Wright having a time of his life with you know editing and special effects and comic booky nonsense, um, which he's good. He's great at. The movie's fun. But I think earlier you hit the nail on and the head. And to be clear, yeah, sorry. Sorry. I was earlier you, you hit the nail, Caitlin, I think, with describing Scott as like, like Michael Sarah Scott specifically as nerdy and cute. Because I think he is a much cuter, wetter <laughs> version of Scott. And wetter. at the same time, Mary Elizabeth Winster's Ramona is much more kind of like cool and deadpan. And again, because you have this compressed timeline, you don't necessarily get to unpack these characters in the same way. So they're maybe a bit more archetypal um, and they kind of, you know, you still take the time to, for want of a better word, kind of deconstruct this idea of like, Ramon is the manic pixie dream girl, but you have to literally fight to win. No, she's, she is, she is a, no, she's a train wreck. And (laughs) I think the, the biggest issue with the movie I have had and I understand why they made these decisions because A the last volume of the comic wasn't out and B once it, that time compression but the ending for Ramona hit so much harder in the comic it is both of them reaching kind of having to work towards this place where they can be a couple whereas in the movie it's just like well Ramona's being controlled by Gideon and Scott has to beat him mm-hmm. yeah you you lose a bit um, of the nuance with that really compressed timeline and again I think with some of the sort of storytelling and directorial choices they had to make to you know go for, go for a certain cool factor to simplify the story mm-hmm. to pare it down into you know a 90 minute length or whatever all of which is very interesting because, of course, now we have Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, which feels very consciously, which, by the way, yeah, he's like written by Brian Lee O'Malley or co-written by him, at least, who is the original mm-hmm. uh, creator. Blom. And Blom exa- is uh, the fans call him. What do they call him? Sorry. Blom. <laughs> I don't know if fans actually call him that. I just like saying well, they Blom. They do now. You're a fan. You're calling him that. Um, it's also executive. Right. It's also executive produced by Edgar Wright, so he's like, I don't know. It felt very again with all this nostalgia in the marketing, being like, it's like the movie you remember, and then the 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 series is it felt like a very conscious, like you know, kind of like returning to this story, older and wiser, and mm-hmm. playing it out again in a different way, in a way that was very self aware and very referential to the movie to the point where they are at one point on a movie set basically making the Edgar Wright movie because someone dropped yeah, the script off the Edgar the Edgar wrong oh, yes Edgar wrong the name of the director in that was Edgar wrong <laughs> yeah and like si- uh, Simon Pegg and um, and Nick Frost Nick, turn up uh, Nick voice Holt cast have, as well. that was cute they and- have <laughs> that was a f- just like a fun little uh, fun little cameo. Yes, th- those I are two actors. Clear, that I am a fan of. I am a fan of Edgar Wright. Like, I'm not an Edgar Wright hater here. I think I, you I, should watch the like, movie if you like Edgar I, Wright. I like. Ho- I love Hot Fuzz. I think Hot Fuzz is a fantastic movie. And then, The World's End was very formative for me growing mm-hmm. up. Um, mm-hmm. Like, The World's End was like, yeah, it's just one of my favorite movies. Like at the end of high school. But anyways, you should um, watch Scott. You should watch the Scott Pilgrim movie then. I think okay. it would be you fascinating should. to what to have watched Scott Pilgrim takes off first and then go back to the 2010 movie. I think that would be mm-hmm. a fascinating, well, time travel exercise. Which, fittingly enough, for Scott Pilgrim takes off. Um. So yeah. So we've talked about 
um, we have kind of various various uh, versions of Scott across comic movie and now takes off which again takes off kind of follows this to a certain extreme and is like well actually remember how Scott wasn't actually a great guy in the comic and had to learn and grow we've extrapolated on that to the point where he has become the alternate antagonist in the series um the eighth evil x the eighth evil x exactly which by the way i am obsessed with the fact that is a plot point in this show in fact the final confrontation of the show is actually the love interests from this comic that you liked they fucking got divorced (laughs) and now one of them is going back in time to try and make sure the relationship never happens in the first place and that is fascinating um a, as, like, you know, your, like, what happens next, um, like, your continuation of your beloved pop culture series. It's like, oh, what happened to my OTP? It's like they got turbo divorced um, and created a time wormhole about <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> which... And went back in time, when one of them went back in time to make sure that they would still meet. Yeah, which, like, the... I don't know, which, maybe we'll talk more about the ending in a minute, but we've talked a bit about Scott as antagonist. Can we talk a bit about Ramona as protagonist? Um, because that is, as we yeah. said, kind of the, the new thing that we get when Scott is literally ripped out of the narrative by himself, it turns out. He's his own worst enemy. Um, we then get a lot of screen time with Ramona, which we obviously got a lot of screen time with Ramona before, but as we've said, she was kind of like, you know, regardless of the level of depth that she was allowed by the various narratives, she was always kind of like it was the series is very much like scott's point of view so she was always kind of like in mm-hmm. the role of love interest um but now she's it's kind of done a switcheroo so instead of the story where scott is like fighting to get ramona we now have ramona solving mysteries to get scott and i don't know having having met her for the first time through this format tony what did you think of ramona what do you think of her i thought ramona was a definitely a interesting character i it was funny when i when i first um when i first put on the show i I watched like the first five minutes i know my roommate keeps making surprise guest appearances as a character in my in in our podcast (laughs) but it's okay jared's a recurring character um but they they noticed that the they reframed the opening shots of the show so that instead of it being kind of this kind of comical, like, dude, this is a dream. Like, why are you making such a big deal? Like, quit being, you know, where, which is a very dismissive attitude that Ramona takes towards Scott. Towards the more romanticized kind of, like, thing. Um, where sh- she's not making fun of him. The narrative is not making fun of him. It's, it is, like, uncritically a romantic thing. And I thought that was interesting... Because then when you, I actually felt like I got to know Ramona in the show itself, she has, embodies this very, like, wry, slightly sarcastic, slightly, um, you know, an unsentimental character. To the point, like, where, where, where after Scott died, I was, like, a little bit surprised at, like, the, the way that she, it's not that she immediately moved on or something, but more that she, like, seemed kind of, at first, like, really unbothered by it. Just like, oh, he's dead. Hmm. Well. Um, very matter of fact. And then over the course of the series, kind of seeing her, um, like, kind of confront her... Confront her ambivalence, in a sense, right? Like, 
mm-hmm. confront all the ways that, like, in si- when situations got difficult, she kind of just shrugged her shoulders and walked away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like that made it make more sense, right? And also, she... I really... There were certain moments in the series that I just found incredibly profound, especially with... Um, I mean, my favorite episode, I think, was the one where she was... Um, where she was kind of confronting, confronted by her old college roommate, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Slash lover. Like, I've really, really connected with that episode because um, I've definitely been in situations where people, instead of trying to sort through mess, just walk away from it, right? Um, and I've been thinking a lot recently about just how much, like, our avoidance of co- our conf- our propensity to conflict avoidance sometimes um, and temptation to just kind of walk away from things that have gotten like even a little messy. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. much harm that can do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when people are disposable. I was even listening to this podcast um, by, uh, not podcast, this book by Naomi Klein called Doppelganger in which she talks about how kind of the online attitude where you can just block or mute anybody who you're kind of a little grumpy with and basically disappear them from your life without them knowing that you've disappeared them from your life, Um, especially if you mute them. They they have no idea you muted them, so they're basically not even, like, like, kind of carries over into how we can treat, like, the people around us, right? And um, where if if we want them to not be present at all then we can just like bam they're gone and we never have to think about them again Uh, it's a good thing this story takes place before the adventure of the invention of social media because both ramona and scott would be (laughs) insufferable on it i think um (laughs) sorry as you were saying (laughs) it's a period piece it's important as you were saying (laughs) but but yeah i guess i guess i just have been thinking a lot lately about um this idea of um kind of disposability politics and the which is different from cancel culture right but like the idea that we are not actually we don't actually owe each other anything or we don't have any responsibility to each other to to sort through mess to conflict resolve to do anything to be in community with each other and that you know at any time we could just drop off the face of the earth and that the other person just has to be okay with that right um, and I've been thinking about that so much and also the fact that, like, the tension between, like, on one hand, you know, that is the nature of relationships and if we weren't allowed to do that, then relationships would be, you know, really fucked up and abusive, right? <laughs> like, we need to be able to, to, like, for any reason, drop out of these things, right? But also, at the same time, it's like, but we do have that ethical commitment. That just because we should be allowed to do something doesn't mean that it's not fucked up and wrong sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. I think you've really hit on, like, one of the fundamental things about Scott Pilgrim and that it, the things that Scott Pilgrim takes over is in conversation with from the original is that Ramona has always been the one who leaves. Um, she is the one who she takes off at the first sign of conflict. Um, and so now Scott has disappeared in the middle of nowhere. And if anything, she seems to be one of the more like concerned people at his funeral. 
Um, but I just chalk that up to Scott, a lot of Scott Pilgrim operates on dream logic. <laughs> it's it's kind of mat. It I mean it's true. It's kind of like magical. Got magical realism vibes. <laughs> now she is confronting not just the mystery of what happened to Scott, but you know her own history with her exes. What she did to Roxy when she just was just like yeah, I was just experimenting. I'm out of here. Bye. Uh, how like or like her dumping Lucas Lee for uh, Todd Ingram. Uh, she's she kind of messes people. She disappears and that messes people up. And she's having to deal with that. And her older self is the one saying like, "Yeah, I was done running away, but uh, Will Fort Scott." Has decided that he wanted to run away. I loved how he they. How, how did the cast members, who are mostly thirty-eight years old, feel about calling thirty-seven-year-old Scott old Scott? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was very much from the point of view of, you know, a a twenty-three-year-old, <laughs> you know. To a twenty-three-year-old, thirty-seven does seem old. Yeah, I was. I was also impressed that like Wallace has gone grey by that by like thirty-nine as well. I was like, I guess he's had a very stressful life. What with being Scott's roommate and all. Some people just go grey early. (laughs) (laughs) Blame Scott for every silver hair that he has. I'm sure he. I oh, I'm sure he does. I think that's fair. Talking about Ramona's exes though, and talking about the third episode, because I felt like that was much much stronger. Um, a take on. Yeah, her relationship with her exes and it's especially interesting to me that Roxy goes first and has that beautiful mm-hmm. you know yeah. first of all a beautifully animated fight scene which is just like they're, they're like them fighting in the video shop and falling through all the different movie set pieces for no reason other than as you said dream logic and also it's cool um and just yeah there's like really raw emotional conflict between the two of them which we kind of didn't get in the original like the movie especially is very again because of the compressed timeline but also because it's 2010 um, Roxy's kind of a joke. The idea that like one Old of the by furious, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like oh, a... not by furious. Yeah, um, which admittedly is kind of that's a good line, but it's not like amazing. And you know, the, the context of representation, it's very just like what, you're like what, what and is May Whitman what is, is Scott's very line? Good. He he figures out that Roxy is one of Ramona's exes, and it's like wait, you had a sexy phase? Like that's what he says. Um. And again, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, she, she fares a bit better in the comics because again, the comics have more time. Um, she also gets defeated in a different way, um, which is slightly less embarrassing for her. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't like how the movie handled that. Which like, because for context, Tony, and correct me, this is remembering this wrong, Caitlin. Um, Roxy is defeated because Ramona's like, oh, if you touch her behind her knee, she's really sensitive. And so Scott does that, and Roxy basically goes, ooh, and kind of has, like, a very, you know, kind of <laughs> pleasure moment and collapses to the floor. Which, A, oh, is like, oh, I man. But also, B, they that wasn't her thing in the comics. That was envy. That was an envy trait. And they that took was that envy. from envy and gave it to Roxy mm. instead. Uh, um, so <sighs> Roxy gets done a little, I don't know. I would. Uh, I was gonna say I don't want to say Roxy gets done dirty in the 2010 movie, but maybe I think it's fair to say that Roxy gets done a bit dirty in the a 2010 movie. And so very interesting that 
you know, we get this more nuanced picture of all the X's. And again, very interesting that Roxy goes first to kind of set that tone to be like, no, no, mm-hmm. this is what this story is about now. It's about taking these kind of more one dimensional characters who were, you know, literally the bosses in the video game that is Scott's romance, romantic relationship. Um, and sort of humanizing them more and actually looking at the relationships and implying much more of a actual relationship between her and Ramona than we initially got. And I, I mean, because Roxy's episode was so strong, I kind of felt like the Lucas and Todd episodes that came after were a bit weak sauce and kind of random. But I loved those episodes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like everyone, listen, everyone on, inter- on the internet is talking about Scott Pilgrim Yuri. I'm here for the Scott Pilgrim Yowie. <laughs> But they were cowards. They only showed kissing. Cowards. All of them. (laughs) And that kissing was on the movie set, too. Mm. Yeah, that was like, I was not a plotline I was expecting. It's just like, you know, just, oh, how how are we developing Todd Ingram as a character? Well, he's going to realize that he likes men, get dumped by Wallace, and then revoke his veganism by, like, sadness eating a bunch of poutine. (laughs) Like, ah, okay, well, Mm. that's the direction you want to take with this character. That's fine by me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, no, it was (laughs) not at all expect what I expected, but I am happy to sorry <laughs> i th- i thought it was another delightful surprise i was happy to see wallace getting some i mean that that's that was my main kind of thing is that wallace is a very fun character mm-hmm. oh so watching i him, love wallace so watching him get some was was was, was satisfying i figured um, you would like wallace wallace is fun wallace is like <laughs> my kind of guy wallace is wallace, wallace wells like, drunk homosexual <laughs> wallace wells um just he he he's basically me, so it's okay. Um. I I I didn't I I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it. Um, but you were I, thinking it, weren't you? I, I was. I don't know. What? I was. Yeah, also, well, this is great. In, in in the comic, he always read as kind of like Asian to me, which is why I was surprised when he was cast as Kieran Culkin. Um. Well, that's my Kieran thing Culkin about was amazing in it as in that role well that's the thing though is that the mood that's my other gripe with the movie is that there's so so many characters who i frankly think uh, come across as not white who are cast as white people and i'm like why and i know i know jason lee i, I mean lucas lee is based on jason lee so like okay maybe that you can get away with that that's fine but yeah, like Wallace Wells, that 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 boy is not white. Come on, just stop. Well, especially in Toronto. Toronto is like such a like, mm-hmm. like Canada in general is all Canada in general is extremely Asian, um, and Toronto in particular is very Asian. So like removing that aspect to me removes a key aspect of what makes Toronto an interesting place. Um, yeah, I, I find that very frustrating, personally. Well, on that, do we want to talk about Knives? Miss Knives Chow, the high schooler. Because um, she also got a bit of a different spin in Scott Pilgrim Takes Off that, yeah, is another another interesting re, re, retake, mm-hmm. redo on some of the main female characters. What do we think of Knives? Yeah. Um, like, my feeling with, with Scott Pilgrim Takes Off is it asks... You know, the the comic is from Scott's perspective. Everything is kind of revolving around Scott. Um, 
the characters have their own lives and their own relationships, but it's all kind of filtered through Scott's lens and a lot of, he is the pivotal relationship for a lot of characters such as knives. And so the question is, what if Scott wasn't there farting around being an idiot? Um, like messing up all of these messing up, like not messing up. That feels unfair, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just being a human wrecking yeah, you can ball. Say it. You can he's, say he's, it. he's, he's, he's a, he's a human wrecking ball. Um, and Knives is kind of, she is, be, instead of being the girl who is admiring her boyfriend play in his shitty band, she becomes a musician. She does not spend all of her time competing against Ramona. She is able to figure out uh, her own, her own self much more. And I thought it was, it was a really satisfying arc. I thought her line at the end was very sweet, where she said, I'm glad that you're alive, but I'm also glad that you died. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is such a, like... Yeah, I, I, Knives, I think, got a much more quiet, maybe a bit more subtle um, kind of arc. But it was very... I, I, I agree, it was very satisfying, and it was very... Like, I still kind of had this question of, like, don't you have any friends your own age? Um, <laughs> why are you still hanging around with all these 20-something-year-olds? But also, yeah, she is the missing ingredient. She makes the band not suck. Like, then, you know, it turns out she's like a musical prodigy who can learn bass in four hours or whatever. Um, And I like, you know, that she begins, like, mournfully wearing Scott's jacket everywhere and then slowly takes it off as it goes along. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I felt that... By the way, I just want to express (laughs) real quick... How happy it made me when Envy Adams started sick came out and started singing I will remember you as and it was metric. I was not I didn't know in, it was in a Scott couple. I didn't get off. the kind of the gag with that but I was like Oh no I, that's a super iconic song. Oh. Did you Did not know? know Oh my god come on. Come on. My god listen, are we too young. The only things I listen to are avant-garde classical music. And house music they play at raves. Okay, so leave me alone. <laughs> and anime opening themes. Um, oh my god. I'm, pl- that I'm too, dropping that this too, in the that disc. That is true. I'm dropping the Wikipedia article in the Discord. <laughs> no. I will say, I was like kind of disappointed we didn't get much Envy Adams content in this because I really liked her. But then again, I recognize like she did get quite a satisfying arc and conclusion in the comics and got a lot more screen time. So maybe that's why. But still, I was like, ah, oh, where is she? It was me at the back. She had and Yeah. And also, she, she's not going to she's not going to figure very heavily into Ramona's story. Yeah, though, I, you know, I liked I poor Envy. She her boyfriend, <laughs> her boyfriend figured out he was attracted to men and I lost <coughs> his vegan powers. <laughs> Lost in lost his vegan powers. Which oh yeah, by the way, Tony, uh, if you're vegan, you get superpowers. This is established law in the comics. Which how and why is not really explained, so I can't explain it any more than that. But um... I listen. I already <laughs> i I asked my roommate about this again, and like I I asked him them, and they were just like, he has vegan powers. It's just <laughs> vegan powers. With that's, Scott, that's all there is to it. There's you just you just roll with it. Mm-hmm. Whenever they introduce some weird <laughs> something weird like that, you just go with it. You don't question mm-hmm. it. Just just accept it. I know in the notes we have something about talking about the epic time traveling divorce and midlife crisis stuff. Yep. I actually kind of <laughs> do want to talk about that. 
Let's talk about there, that there is to round some this out. Stuff there because, yeah, because like I ha- I have some thoughts on that that. Yeah, the time traveling turbo divorce, uh, as I will call it. You can imagine that appearing in big cartoony font above my head as I say that. Um, okay, part of my confusion with that was like, does does this show operate along like the the like the theoretical physics branching timelines kind of time travel mechanics where like when you go back in time you create a new timeline where you've gone back in time or does scott does does say something about his memories changing it's it's kind of it's kind of glossed over yeah i think in the same Um, way that a lot of the other sci-fi elements are glossed over um i don't i think i mean just judging by the fact that well, whoever it is is like, how did you, how did you build a time machine? You're like, oh, the twins helped me with it. It's super easy. They got a robot. It's fine. It's kid stuff. And they just like keep talking. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think it's like, as with, you know, the, and then, the, the and dream then, logic of everything. To, to me, like... that's. <laughs> and then they sing the bubblegum cre- crisis theme song. <laughs> oh my God. And then, then, and then there was that moment where Roxy fucking sings the hamster dance on her way out of the VHS store, and I like died. Um. Uh. By the way, Tony, for also for context, that you know the scene where they're showing um footage from the Clash at the Demon Head concert, and like everyone in the audience is singing along. Yeah. Uh. That was the song from the movie. Mm. And. It did for a second for me really feel like being at a concert where everyone is singing along with the band's iconic song. It Aww. just, yeah, it just, you know, Scott Pilgrim takes off. Just it, it really taps into the nostalgia bomb without like being really aggressively like, are you nostalgic now, millennial woman? I mean, especially in that, it's like, are you nostalgic for this? Okay, we're taking it all apart, doing it again differently. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty big factor in like, it's not just going back and re, you know, polishing itself and showing you the, the shininess. It's just like, okay, you remember this. Like, it's, it's relying on a lot of um, audience prior knowledge and expectations to do all of its, you know, twists and turns, which again is why like, yeah, like Scott... Scott fucking die the the title changing to Scott Pilgrim fucking dies at the end of the first episode is so interesting because you're like well that's not how I was expecting that to go that's not how I know that that goes um and again the whole time travel thing of being like well there is an alternate you know this is an alternate timeline the timeline that's already happened is the movie and the comics like that's the story you already know and they have the characters from that story have come back to try and stop that story that we already know from taking place. Like that that's it's so meta and delicious in that way. And just seeing seeing them making the movie that people have seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I um, also think like <laughs> okay, here's the reason why I asked that question earlier though about time travel because that really matters to me about character motivation for the antagonists, right? Mm-hmm. Are they trying to prevent themselves from having to experience this horrible thing and so they can erase their memories of the horrible thing a la you know a la um uh what's the what's that what's that movie called uh uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind sort of thing good movie or fantastic movie or are they trying to like create a new world in 
you know, be altruistic to a different version of themselves that will then get to experience a better future, right? That matters to me because, like, the, the, the beauty of the ending to me, if they indeed, like, if she indeed is choosing to make this choice, choosing to stay with Scott, even though it's going to turn out badly, right? It really reminds me of, like, the, what I love so much about Arrival, right? And the ending of Arrival, right? Um, have y'all seen Arrival? I have not actually seen Arrival. I need, I know oh, I need I to. I haven't seen it either, but... Uh. I'm sorry. I know it's a okay. movie about linguistics. <sighs> okay, first of all, you need to watch it and you'll love it, Caitlin. It's fantastic. Um, I know it's the, made for me. It is. It is a fantastic movie. Um, but the um, to me, this idea that like, even though you know that the future is going to turn out poorly, right, and that you can kind of see where things are going, right, and you can see like what direction like your romance with somebody is going to go in that you still then choose to like let kind of let it happen as in like experience it fully because you yourself in the moment know that it feels right for you now in this moment i think mm-hmm. it's that's something really interesting to me <sighs> the unlimited x works <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a Fate Stay Night yeah. reference. No, no, yeah. Well, <laughs> Alder Scott turns up with darker skin and white hair and tries to kick his younger self's ass. That is that is the that is the big twist uh, that Unlimited Blade Works. Is, yeah. Not to, you know, and here's the spoil thing. 20-year-old visual novel on this podcast. Um. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, I don't... Here's the thing, though, Tony. I would be surprised if Scott thought that that far through. Scott's an idiot. Mm-hmm. No, for Scott. me it's Ramona though. Ramona's the one who who chooses to stay with Scott. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, and like Ramona too is the one who went back yeah. in time was like, well, look, maybe my time traveling um, separated husband is gonna try and erase this, but I wanted you to know the story still, and so that's why I dropped this, the script on Young Neil's desk. Like that was really interesting, mm. and that idea of like it. It pairs very nicely with the ending of the comic because that was also quite uncertain but kind of hopeful in a way that I really enjoyed because it's not a straightforward and they lived happily ever after, you know, like despite all of the zany video gamey stuff going on, it's a very grounded ending in that it's Scott and Ramona being like, maybe this will work, we just have to give it a shot. And it's like this imagery of them kind of jumping into the unknown together, literally. Um... And so this kind of felt like, yeah, like a return to that in a really interesting way of just like, look, maybe it's gonna, you're gonna have some good times and then you're, and then you're gonna get time traveling turbo divorced. But, you know, does that negate the good times? Does that mean it's not worth it? Does it mean that like, if you know this is a possibility, you can't work to change it and become a better person and stop those mistakes from happening? Like, because like, as, I don't know, like as a romance story, because ultimately this is a romance, you know, it's a story about Scott trying to get the girl and, you know, or in this case, Ramona trying to get her boy. It's, that's just like fascinating to me. Like having, building that uh, romantic uncertainty into the plot and into the ending, being like, listen, maybe it won't work out, but are you choosing to go ahead and, you know, be, be happy for now and try to work on it and try to do your best? Okay, yeah, you are choosing that. Cause that's all we can do as humans. We can't try to make a perfect mm-hmm. timeline where you never break up because that's unhinged. <laughs> like, I thought that was um, such an interesting return. 
And that's part of why I feel like it's so in conversation with the comic from an older, more experienced perspective. Because Brandon Lee O'Malley was about the same age as the characters when he started it. And now he is much older. Now he is older than old Scott. Uh, (laughs) Not older than very old Scott. But it just feels like... Because Scott Pilgrim is messy. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a messy work in the way, like, I always say that I love Fushigi Yugi for its mess, right? And I love Scott Pilgrim in the same way. It is art created in the moment by a young, creative person who is working through some stuff, drawing from their own life. Uh, because as we all know, in the case of Fushigi Yugi, Yuwatase did go to another world and summon a Vina. Um, but yeah, like, and so Scott Pilgrim takes off instead of trying to be the more polished version of Scott Pilgrim, it looks at the themes of Scott Pilgrim and says, now we're older, now we're more experienced, we're more cynical, we've been through different kinds of heartbreak, we also see our exes in different ways, you know, so much of Scott Pilgrim takes off is looking at... Ramona's exes as humans and they, and them being able to kind of find their own place of peace. That's why at the end Scott's like, okay, let's go. And they're like, dude, we are so over this. We have moved on. Mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm. Um, we are like, because a lot of it was the thematic element of it in the comic was Ramona has not dealt with her own breakups. It is an older and wiser Brandon Lee O'Malley looking back and saying, this is my relationship with the characters now. This is my relationship with who I was. And I think that's why, (laughs) that's why it hits so hard because I was the same age as the characters and there were parts of Ramona that I really, really related to reading the comic really just like brought it back. Um, the part at the end where she's like, yeah, I was trying to outrun change. Like, whoo, I was, you know, I had just graduated from college. I said, I spent a year living in the town, in the city where I went to college and then I moved to Japan and like people kept coming and going just like that hit like, hit me in the chest like like Ramona with her hammer (laughs) and so seeing it kind of revisit those themes in a way that now connects to connects with me in my mid-30s I think that's why I love it I mean I know that's why I love it so much plus it's super fun and the animation's amazing and it's got great needle drops um, and that's why I kind of I wanted to hear your perspective, Tony, because it feels so much. I can't imagine how someone would take it when they are not a millennial who read the comics at a time in the life where they were in a similar place to the characters. Well, the funny thing is to me is that, like, I mean, I'm watching this as somebody who's in a similar place to the characters. Yeah, I think Although that's I- really interesting. Right? Like, I I mean, admittedly, I'm a little bit older than them, and I'm much more established in my career than probably they are, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, 
I'm I'm like 28. The characters are like 23, but still, it it is this very interesting like. It was a very interesting thing for me to watch this reflection of a lot of the things I've been trying to figure out about, like, my own life in terms of, like, how do I have, like, meaningful romantic relationships, right, that don't require me to sacrifice my values, but also require me to grow a little bit and be a better person. How do I, um, like, maintain, like, friendships with people through mess, right, which... I mean, the show is about mess and, like, trying to maintain, like, your your care for other people and, like, and, like, the importance of that, right? Like, even when mess happens. And I think that there's, there's, um, yeah, I really connected with it and it made me really interested in reading the comics. I'll be honest, I really... I'm very interested in reading the comics now, and I'll be honest, I'm I'm still not particularly interested in watching the movie. Just, um, but but that I think is also just partly because I I like I think I tend to like animated and you know comic book forms more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was really spe- something special, and. Um, mm-hmm. I, I still think my favorite episode was episode three though. Um, this the Roxy is my heart. Mm-hmm. Like what a fantastic episode. Mm-hmm. And the the animation I will also say was just spectacular throughout it. Incredible I'm s- animation. I'm so glad they got Saru to do it because they were really the perfect team for this for this show. I think that is a very thematically beautiful place to wrap us up for today um there's a lot more to talk about of course there's so many things uh we could dig so much deeper into ramona and knives and kim even deeper into the exes we haven't even talked about gordon goose and julie becoming like an evil power couple which is so <laughs> gideon, funny. gideon oh graves God. the poor little meow meow <laughs> yes the, yes poor the, little oh, meow meow gideon graves poor little meow meow <laughs> he was not a poor little meow meow in the in the comic i'll tell you mm-hmm. that Mm. Um, <laughs> honestly julie getting her dues you know good to see her get more screen time and just just be an asshole and get what mm-hmm. get what she deserves in a positive way um mm-hmm. so much more quick, to- quick question before we go <laughs> yes. before we sign off uh-huh. though did you watch english or japanese oh i watched the english i will say i i liked most of the vocal performances but i believe it was allison pill as kim um Kim's the video store employee, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the drummer. Her, vo- I, that was the only voice acting that I thought was absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> but in terms of, like, vo- highlights, that was a low light for me. But Johnny Simmons as young Neil was so fucking funny. Like, I thought he was a low light for me. Really? He had, he had a real mush, he had, like, a lot of mush mouth going on. For me, it was the that that the, some of his one-liners though were incredible. Like, just when I discovered I'm a cinephile, like, oh my <laughs> god, that was it killed me. Are you my, is that or my like, sleep paralysis um, demon? <laughs> for me, the best performance was um, Satya Baba. I I know I'm not I can't do the the um, aspirated bees. Sorry, sorry to uh, people who know how to actually speak that language um 
I thought he was amazing as Matthew Patel. He really brought that anime energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And good for Matthew Patel for getting it so was much very, more screen yeah. time, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I thought that Matthew Patel was a really compelling character in this. Um, yeah, just definitely reminds me of so many unfortunate dates I've gone on with <laughs> actors in New York City that made me want to di- claw my ears and eyes and every part of myself out. That, that made you want to run away into subspace and then be terribly surprised when they yes. turn up years later as one of your League of Evil exes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, no. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Actually, though, like, mm, I'll, I'll tell you all some other time off pod. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we will return in due time to the story of uh, Tony's evil exes on another exciting episode of the anime that is their life. Um, for now, though, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. Um, this is going to be, if not the last, one of the last uh, podcast episodes that goes out for 2023. So I want to say thank you as well for being along for the ride for this whole year. Um, if you're a patron, of course, um, thank you so much for helping us keep the lights on. Um, if you're not a patron, but you are interested, you can join up anytime you like you get a fun range of bonus things like mini recommendations and a newsletter and bonus shorter podcasts if you really you know like the sound of our voices and like our opinions um the we are also on many exciting social medias uh you can find us at anifam on most of them except for instagram and tiktok where we are anifam site um, we got merch, we got all sorts of fun things going on, and as heading into the new year, we'll be doing some new exciting projects as well. Our submission box is also open if you have anime opinions that you want to tell us about in essay format. Um, that is going to do us, though. Um, I am not going to do a big Broadway closeout. Um, I'm just going to say thank you very much, and I will see you next time.